John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be revealing the latest movie from Amy Schumer, I Feel Pretty, both Super Troopers 1 and 2 to celebrate 420, as well as the latest movie from Code Black Productions, or is it Code Black Pictures? One or the other, it's Code Black, um, Traffic, starring Paula Patton. Let's get started. Things have really changed for me. You just have all the confidence in the world. I think a lot of people completely miss the thing that really makes them awesome. And you're not like that. DJ, hit it. I hate to be that guy, but I feel like it's very appropriate that this particular movie was um, was advertised utilizing Megan Trainer songs. I mean, not to knock either Amy Schumer or Megan Trainer, but their idea of body positivity is very um very middle class white girl centric, let's say. It's not exactly um third wave, so to speak. And uh especially having seen the movie, yeah, the Megan Trainer songs seem even more appropriate. Just Oof! All about all the body positivity knowledge of a toddler coming from both of these people. So yeah, um, I don't like to call myself a hater. I tend not to like outright hate people unless it's like something out unless something they say or do is outwardly despicable. You have to in order for me to be. I don't tend. I tend not to hate. On celebrities f- for frivolous reasons, like they make bad movies or something. Like I don't call myself a Tyler Perry hater. I just don't like anything he's done. Uh, the same is starting to become more true for Amy Schumer. Like I guess I should specify, I'm a hater for people like Chris Brown because not only do they make garbage music, they are also garbage. They are also a garbage person. And Tyler Perry, I don't see as a garbage person. I also don't know the guy, and he's managed to keep his personal life pretty private, so I can't speak to that end. I just know I do not like his... I feel his um, movies are supremely under par, and he could vastly improve on his filmmaking quality, but he chooses not to because he, he feels no need to uh, improve. For his audience. Because his audience likes a certain quality. And he is delivering what he believes they want. And what they have shown to be what they... Shown to want via their box office returns. So, I don't hate Tyler Perry. Nor do I really hate Amy Schumer. I think she's incredibly obnoxious. I Ever since the end of her Comedy Central series, I have not liked anything she's done. I don't like her specials. I did not. I only cared partly for Trainwreck. Trainwreck, but Trainwreck had a good story behind it, 
and she honestly wasn't the best part about it. I didn't really care for Snatched, and here we are with this. This, uh, this movie where the premise seems to be what they attempted to do with the Barbie movie. Because if you don't remember, a couple years back, Amy Schumer was slated to be attached to a Barbie movie where she was the non-equivalent to the Barbie image. Well, I just learned um, the last name is Roberts. Barbie Roberts is her full name. I'm not sure how I missed that until 2018, but, you know, thanks Mattel for finally letting us know their names. <laughs> um, but the, I, I, I guess it could have worked. It's a nice subversion of what people would expect from a Barbie movie. Instead, we've got this, which thankfully it doesn't, I think Mattel knew not to, to kind of steer clear of that angle. Um, there's better people to attach to a Barbie movie. And Amy Schumer has slowly become, uh, just not, ultimately not somebody that, somebody who's only had, who only has her niche audience, so to speak. And outside of that niche audience, she isn't, there's nothing really appealing to her. You know, her personality, her comedy, it's just... It just isn't all that great, honestly. And this movie shows that. This is out, but uh, of course, isn't she isn't the one spearheading this. This is from the writers of The Vow. For, for those who don't remember, The Vow is... Um, let me pull up. It's a 2012 film starring Rachel McAdams. And early, like right about the time Magic Mike hit Channing Tatum. Before it became... The charming, lovable man that we... A lovable hunk of a man that we know him now. This was early Channing Tatum. And it was a really, really pretty bad Nicholas Sparks wannabe story about a guy who can't... Who, who is in love with a woman, but circumstances, something, something, class, struggle. I have no idea. I've only heard nothing but bad things about it. Honestly, I haven't heard good things to uh, said about the vow starring Rachel McAdams and Channing Tatum. It's it's not it's not exactly a well regarded movie. Uh, those screenwriters went on to to write. He's just not that into you. Well, no. Here's the thing. They started with never been kissed, which I have never seen, and I have no idea if it's even any good. But that was the Drew Barrymore comedy. Uh, about a about a reporter who goes undercover as a teenager and falls in love with a high school boy, because you know that's not a terrible idea. Um, it was the nineties; we were okay with you know adult women, adult adults falling in love with uh, high school age people, or was it college? If it was college, that was fine. But did nope, no, nope, it's high school. 25-year-old uh, copy editor goes undercover at a high school and then falls in love with one of the boys. That's totally not terrible in retrospect. They went on to write He's Just Not That Into You based on the book of the same name by Greg Barron and Liz Tuchillo. Tuchillo, because it's Italian, I'm assuming. Um, never saw that one. No idea if it's any good. Uh... You'll have to tell me. Uh, Valentine's Day, they helped write, which is a which was the 
first, I believe, in a long string of absolutely garbage Gary Marshall movies set around holidays. Because uh, you had that. His last three movies. All of Gary... The last three of Gary Marshall's movies were terrible, non-sequitur, love-actually-wannabe stories centered around a holiday. First it was Valentine's Day, then it was New Year's Eve, and then finally it was Mother's Day. And they're all terrible garbage movies. And they... So, uh, Mark Silverberstein. Mark Silverstein is the one, and then... Um, he Abby Cohn is his writing partner. And so it was never been kissed. He's just not that into you. Valentine's Day. The Vow. How to be single. Which I did not like in the least. And now their directorial debut in I Feel Pretty. So as much as Amy Schumer brings her personality to her character. This is fully... A Mark Silverstein and Abby Cohn uh, joint. Written and directed by both of them. And I have yet to see anything good come from them. I have no idea even if... I have no idea if Never Been Kissed is even any good. But I have no intention to go back based on the premise. And based on what they have done for me lately. Because this may be their worst yet. I did not like How to Be Single. I definitely... I despised Valentine's Day when I first saw it. And I never saw, he's just not that into you, or The Vow, and I only heard terrible things about The Vow. I think their best may be, he's just not that into you, and that's because of the book it's based on. But uh, here we have um, what attempts to be a a subversion of the fantastical body change storyline. Big, Freaky Friday, 13 Going on 30, um, Shallow Howl. Uh, the change-up, things of that nature. It wants to subvert that, but it continually follows all of the exact tropes of that genre. And uh, it's about a woman who gains the confidence to be herself by basically imagining she's a model. She sees herself as a model, even though none of us ever see her from her point of view. It's all, all the comedy is just, oh, look, Amy Schumer thinks she's attractive, which is a, it's just, it's just the worst kind of punchline. Hey, this unconventional, this non-conventionally attractive woman thinks she's a, she's conventionally attractive. Isn't that hilarious? Eat me. So yeah, head trauma at a soul cycle causes Amy Schumer, who was at first beauty-obsessed, but kind of introverted and not very self-confident, into just a raging asshole. Just uh, just flaming, hemorrhoid-ridden asshole throughout this entire movie. Just, honestly, the worst kind of person. And that's the thing. The supporting cast isn't too bad. Michelle Williams, Academy Award nominee Michelle Williams is unrecognizable as the granddaughter of the founder of a makeup company and magaz- and beauty magazine who employ who big style employs um Amy Schumer without any actual credentials to her name to help her market their high-end beauty products to a retail market a la Target and 
Coles, as Michelle Williams, and one of the actually funny lines in this movie. The funniest lines do not come from Amy Schumer. Shock of all shocks, I know. And you've also got A.D. Bryant and Shashir, Shashir Zameda from SNL. You've got Rory Scovel, a standard comic I've grown to love. And you've even got, um, who are the other guys, who are the other people in here? You've got, um, Busy Phillips as one of, as, uh, Amy Schumer's other best friend. So you've got A.D. Bryant and Busy Phillips, both hilarious actresses. You've got, um, Lauren Hutton, who was a, looks like a model and turned actress back in the day. And she plays the founder of the company and, uh, Michelle Williams' grandmother. And she's barely in the movie, so you don't have to worry about anything. You know, she's hardly in here. David Tell makes a cameo. Um, and then uh, Adrian Martinez, I think. I think that's the guy uh, she works with at because uh, she starts working on the website end, and um, she wants to be in the H in in the HQ. Which they don't ever really specify why the website online servers are not within HQ. It's just, it's just because why would the why would the models want to have their servers on site? It's not like they're a comp, you know, a corporation that would need their servers to be on site in case something went wrong or something. No, I guess. Despite the fact that they own the building for for all intents and purposes, they don't keep their servers on site. They keep them in Chinatown in New York City. So they're in Manhattan, and they keep their servers in Chinatown. If you think about this movie for anything longer than a second, you're going to tear your hair out. It's nonsensical. Just... Absolute garbage. Where's the... I'm trying to find the guy's name that she works with. Um, I'm not seeing the guy's name. I, I'm assuming it's... Um, it, it's Adrian Martinez's character, Mason. Uh, he's best known for the... Well, here. Duh. Go to his IMDb. I don't have his image. Yep, Adrian Martinez. He was... Um, He's best known at, for The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and he was just in Focus, uh, the uh, Will Smith, uh, Margot Robbie movie. And he's going to be something called I, Gilbert coming up. Uh, Gilbert is a portrait of, a lone, of loneliness as he tries to connect with inaccessible women by taking pictures of them. That sounds creepy. That sounds terribly creepy. I want to take a shower after reading that premise. But yeah, so... He's alright, he gets some good one he gets some good jokes in, but he's completely wasted in this movie. Like there's no like he's just there because oh, he's the fat nerdy guy who works with Amy Schumer. And it doesn't and he his character goes nowhere. He's also the discount double check guy from State Farm a while back. But yeah, like none of these none of these act none of these supporting actors are given anything to do. Naomi Campbell is in this movie for one scene and then she's gone. Like seriously? Seriously. You the whole you you get Naomi Campbell in there, a former model, 
and the only and the only that she plays the CFO of the company, and then like we never see her again. She has like no other scenes in the movie. Apparently, she was too expensive to keep in the movie for more than one scene. Jeez. Um, yeah, the, but the thing is, the most of this movie spends time just dogging on Amy Schumer for no reason. Like she is average. She's not really plus size. She's not over. She's not obese. She's not hideous. Like they film her with no makeup, while everybody has spent like while everyone has like model level makeup around her. Like women go to the gym with makeup on. Nobody does that outside of movies. Like most people, people, general. Most people don't try to get made up to go to the gym because you're going to sweat that off. Like unless you're intending to look good at the gym, most people don't care because you're going to the gym to... (sighs) This movie is so stupid. Um, But yeah, it's just as soon as... Amy Schumer is weird, just dangerously obsessive about looking conventionally attractive for the first part of the movie. And then once she thinks she is, she's just the worst person. Like one of the first scenes after she goes through the quote unquote transformation is her attempting to kidnap A.D. Bryant and Busy Phillip because she assumes they're going to scream for not recognizing her. Nobody acts like that! Who acts like that? Like, in any other transformation movie, they'll be like, uh, they'll be like, hey, meet me at this place. And they'll probably, like, hide in the shadows or something. They won't attempt to, they won't do the whole, does this smell like chloroform to you? Because she, like, full-on covers their mouths because she's an obnoxious asshole. This, just throughout this movie... Amy Schumer has no reason to be friends with Busy Phillips and A.D. Bryant because they deserve a better friend. Why would they ever be friends with Amy Schumer? Because she seemed to always have been an asshole. I don't get the appeal of her character. She's just an asshole. First, she's a self-defeating asshole who doesn't like the way she looks. Then, she's an overly confident asshole who berates everybody around her. Like, she full-on declares Busy Phillips has HPV in the crowded bar where they're at. It's, she's just the worst. Is that, is that the appeal? Is that the joke? That she's an asshole? Because that's not a joke. That's just, we're watching someone be an asshole for two hours. Which is the whole other thing. There's no reason for this to be two hours. This should have been 90 minutes in, out, done. You don't need to be pushing, like, Oscar-length for a terrible big knockoff, shallow how the Amy Schumer and uh, Cohn and Silverstein have been on the talk circuits, declaring that this movie is nothing like Shallow How. Stop comparing us to Shallow How. Yeah, Shallow How is a bad movie. It's a terribly misogynist movie, and so is yours. I seen your movie. You glorify the conventional ideas of attractiveness and only tack on the idea of body positivity towards the very end. And the main character, you know, saying this message is a complete and utter, vapid, flaming 
asshole. You are the female shallow how. Just accept that. Sorry, it got intense there because this is the female shallow how. As much as people want to say, no, it's totally... No, think about it. For females, the idea is instead of the love interest looking better, because the whole thing about the idea is with shallow how, it was a man has to learn to stop looking at outer beauty and accept inner beauty. And I feel pretty, a woman has to stop looking at outer beauty and accept her own inner beauty. The difference is, for the male, it's the love interest. For the female, it's herself. That doesn't negate the fact that it's literally the same plot. You can't deny this. It exists. Shallow Howl exists. You two, both your movies share a premise the target has changed from the love interest to the protagonist. That does not mean it's not the same thing. Yeah. It is exactly the same movie. You switched the conflict and the, I, and the fantasy element from the love interests to the protagonist. That does not mean it is no longer the same. It still shares all of the same vapid elements. I am emphasizing my words because apparently these three knuckleheads can't see what's in front of them. Really, this, this movie genuinely upset me. I'm debating whether or not to put this higher than Fifty Shades Freed on my worst of the year list. My bottom of the year list, I should say, because worst is subjective. But that's the thing. Fifty Shades Freed is way worse. Thematically, production-wise, all, all, objectively speaking, Fifty Shades Freed is a way worse movie. But I expected Fifty Shades Freed to be awful. I expected this to be decent. And what I got was one of the worst, most genuinely misogynistic movies I've ever seen directed at women. Genuinely misogynistic. Because it, nope, the bulk of the movie is talking about how great outer beauty is. And at no point does it ever talk about the inner beauty or the confidence from loving oneself until the last scene of the movie. You don't get to spend 90 plus minutes talking about how great outer beauty is. Tack on a feel good about yourself message at the end and call yourself a body positivity movie. You don't get to do that. And I'm glad I'm not the only one saying this. I'm not going to lie to you. I am a member of a Facebook group with a predominantly female uh, member base. And in or and I wanted to gauge, um, I got I wanted to gauge the uh, the uh, their um, thoughts and opinions about this, whether they've seen it or not, or just from the trailers. And for the most, and those that have seen it completely, and my in my group, in my circle, in this circle, this isn't to say all women. This is to say my particular group of people. 
that I that I have contacted with that I contacted in order to gauge this this query. This group that I'm a member of agreed with me that it is very very much a backwards thinking movie. It's definitely not very feminist in its execution and the trailer and I you know and once I and most of the women weren't even interested in seeing it based on the trailers because they completely saw what I expected and what I was hoping it wouldn't be, which is a completely misogynistic piece of garbage. And they saw it both from Amy Schumer's attitude and from her history, and that's what the and that's what we got. It's not just Amy Schumer though. Amy Schumer brings her personality to it, that doesn't help. But this story was awful. Genuinely awful. Tried to act like it had a good message, but was terrible the whole time. So its message is meaningless. That's the thing. Fifty Shades doesn't try to have a meaningful message. It's just wealth porn. It's wealth porn and faux dominance for for women who just don't want to watch actual porn, apparently. Because... There's way better, because I mean, if you just want to watch, if you just want porn, go watch porn. You don't need this to be your porn. It's terrible. I've seen porn with better acting than Fifty Shades. And yet, Fifty Fifty Shades did not piss me off the same way. I I am out of outrage. My outrage... Limits have been breached by Fifty Shades. I can no longer be outraged by its existence. All I can say is, yes, it is terrible in all aspects. And yet, this movie pissed me off more because I expected something from it and all it gave me was garbage. It took a dump on me for almost two hours and I just wanted something. And then they said... Well, look, there's a there's a kernel right there that totally makes us a good movie. Oh, good, yeah. You had a kernel in your giant two hour pile of 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 a turd of a movie. Um, um, this is where I almost wish I had I just gave in and went explicit with my podcast. But at the same time, I at least want to you know I. I don't want to rely too much on obscenities to sell the humor. But, yeah, I this, it, this movie upset me and pissed me off more than Fifty Shades because I expected Fifty Shades to be bad and th- didn't disappoint on that end. This expected some semblance of quality, and I got something along the lines of a Fifty Shades. It's closer to Twilight in terms of its awful th- themes and its execution. It's not full on Fifty Shades yet. But it's on that end of the spectrum. And once again. I'm, I don't bring up. The the women in the Facebook group I'm in. To legitimize my opinion. I only bring that up because. I'm not the target audience. And I would much rather hear. From the intended target audience. And they went further than I did. Even call, you know, calling out all of the other problematic aspects of not only the trailer, but the premise and the execution and of the star. And I, I absolutely agreed with them 100%. I really didn't, I honestly didn't see a, much of a dissenting opinion either. But I don't know if that was people, because 
not everybody, because it's a huge-ass group, so not everybody would have seen the post. But, yeah, I mean, if this worked for you, if you found this funny and you had a good time, I will not take that away from you. Personally, this is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. And it's one of the worst, it's definitely going to be on my bottom of the year list, for sure. I just need to wrestle with my thoughts and opinions on where it fits. And that's the thing. Do I put this higher than Fifty Shades, which I knew was going to be bad and it didn't disappoint? But this genuinely pissed me off more than that. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. y'all have to wait and see, and I'll have to wrestle with that for the rest of the year. This time, everything will be by the book. Everything. What are you guys doing? Great, Tim Horton's ghost. What can I get for you guys? Whole beer, liter of cola. What did you say? Do you want a liter of cola? Canada's pretty awesome. Boop boop. Don't do that. Boop 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 boop. boop. Shoot him? Who? Papa? Frere Jacques Grepo, Paul Marquis de Sartorete, whoop, and they'll dust their croissant, les miserables, first catcher, Luke Robert, I doubt Daniel Perrier, Frank Tark, and Don Pinot, Buster Parfait. Oh, the toilette! Oh, the doodade! Well, I was hoping Rampage would have been a 420 movie because. That genuinely is a an appropriate 420 movie, but the only uh, 420 related movie we got this year was the long belated, almost two decades in the making sequel to the cult classic comedy Super Troopers. And in honor of the sequel, I went back and rewatched the original, and um, I gotta say, as someone who is not a partaker of the marijuana, the uh, Cannabis, the cannabinoid, the, what is it, uh, what's the scientific name for it? I want to get super pretentious with this. Um, the genus cannabis, uh, as it were, I do not partake of the Mary Jane, the wacky tobacky. I could go on. I'm such a dork. But uh no, nah, I'm not I'm not a weed smoker. The only the only connection I had with stoners was some of my brother's friends in high schools were stoners. Like the full on, like baked out of their gourds kind of stoners. Like the kind of dudes that tried to steal and sell a uh, student's flute to a to a thrift store and get some money for it kind of stoners. Thankfully, my brother wasn't the worst of them, so uh, I don't know. You know, my mom didn't have that to wor- worry about. He 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 was just, you know, he was just hanging with his bros. Uh, but yeah, and, and that's, once again, not to diminish them or call them delinquents or anything. Some of them made some bad choices. You know, and that, and when you're a teenager, you make stupid decisions. That happens. But um, yeah, that's but like the the pot smokers I know nowadays are like. Full-on professional pot smokers. It's like, yeah, I partake of the, I, I partake of the weed. It helps cool. It just calms me down. It's like a it's like a, a well, relaxant. It's the same as people who drink alcohol after a long day at work. It's it's cool, you know. It, it's something that help that chills them out and helps them relax. You know, 
it doesn't and it like the stoner is the person who why am I explaining this to you? You guys know what a stoner is. Yeah, the stoner is this person who's the drug embodies their lifestyle. It's what they center their lifestyle around. Most of the people I know that smoke weed, they got they got stuff to do, man. They got lives to lead. They can't be focused solely on smoking as much weed as possible. Weed just helps them get them through life, you know? So I never really, even in college, I never really hung out with the stoner crowd. But at the same time, I never really, I, there, were, there was only some of the stoner comedies that I myself having never partaken uh, that I just outright are, could not watch because they're just genuinely unwatchable. Some of the stuff, you know, a lot of the stuff that Snoop Dogg did or like the, the, the what is it, the Haunted Bong or the, the Evil Bong with Tommy Chong, that sort of stuff. But like, and at the same time, I never watched Cheech and Chong. But I knew that those guys were funny, and I liked the Dave's Not Here bit. That's just genuine. Dave's Not Here is the stoner version of Who's On First, and it's both of them are hilarious because it's that same formula. It's perfect. It's beautiful. And I feel like, and that's why revisiting Super Troopers, I enjoyed it pretty much just as much as I did the first time. Maybe a little less, but it's still like something, something that I, would, I wouldn't turn off, let's say. Like, sometimes there are movies that you just switch the channel either automatically or just don't care to watch. Super Troopers is something that I would absolutely keep on if it was, if it was, uh, not, probably not on cable TV. It'd have to be like on HBO or something because, I don't know, maybe, maybe the TV edited version is hilarious in its own way because they tend to be, they tend to be just ludicrous in the, how they try to hide the adult elements of things. But, uh, yeah, the first Super Troopers, great independent comedy, holds up. Pretty well for the most part. I'm kind of sad that I never heard a lot out of... Like, I was expecting Broken Lizard, especially after Super Troopers came out and it was like a big cult classic to be at least somewhat like a lesser uh, National Lampoons or something, you know? Some, you know, a great troop of, comedy troupe of guys that continually make, you know, fun... Fun comedies. I never saw Club Dread. I kind of dug Beer Fest, but Beer Fest also came out, like, right around the same time as, um... Oh, God, what was the other beer comedy? There's, like, another one, um... About a beer drinking competition. Where, uh... Because there's Beer Fest, um... Which was 2006, uh... Where is it? There's like another one that I swear there was like something else that kind of uh, kind of ruined uh, Beer Fest's run, where it was like something else came right around the same time and with the same premise, and they got and they got kind of screwed on that end. Um, Or maybe, or maybe it was something like right afterwards. Uh, trying to think. Uh, it was. I swear there was like something like right around the same time as Beer Fest that uh, had the exact had like pretty much the same premise as the you know the the whole beer drinking competition. 
of uh, that was in, that was inherent in beer fest. Beer competition movie. There's Beer Fest. Am I thinking of something else? I guess. I guess. I guess I must be thinking of something else because Beer Fest is the only thing that's coming up with this premise. I swear there was like something where there was about drinking, you know, winning a beer drinking festival that like came out like right around the same time as Beer Fest, but I'm not seeing it. No, but yeah, I, I remember that being. I remember seeing that. I wasn't big into it as I was uh, Super Troopers, but apparently they got had a bunch of stuff. Had a bunch of stuff since then. Um, the Slam and Salmon, which seemed to be like a waiting style movie that featured Michael Clark Duncan. Uh, I never saw that. They had uh, a stand up special, which is cool, and then something called Freeloaders, which I never even heard of. I don't even. I don't even remember it coming out. That was in 2012. And Six Slackers and Mooch Off Counting Crows frontman Adam Duritz? That's... That's a weird poll. Also, it doesn't look like... I don't recognize any... Wait, Kevin Sussman. I do know that. But I didn't, I'm not seeing like Jay... There he is. Jay uh, Chandra Sikar. Um, huh. Okay, so it was brought to Broken Lizard, and they helped produce it. So they didn't—they didn't like full on create it. And yeah, I never—I don't—I don't remember this in the slightest. Olivia Munn's apparently in it. Denise Richards, Richard Branson. So yeah, I guess the fact that I've never heard of it goes to tell you how uh, you know how how much uh how how much it um how much it uh. You know, uh, how, you know, the kind of, um, what do you call it, uh, the kind of uh, impact it left on both me and on pop culture. Um, and then I hadn't, like, really, the, the last time I heard of, of, from them since Beer Fest was about a decade later when they tried to do a Kickstarter campaign, or is it Indiegogo? They wanted a crowdfunding campaign for the, for the Super Trooper sequel. And da, 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 one point of prequel set in the seventies. Be pure sequel. Group is jointly written several draft. Blah, 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 blah. Hold on, let me pull up. Uh, let me pull up the production end for the Super Troopers two. Yeah, crowdsourcing. Uh, San Diego. Oh. Yeah, okay, so he's talking about in 2006 after Beer Fest that uh, they wanted to do a sequel. And then the there was an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. For the campaign, Broken Lizard teamed up with Fandango to offer tickets to the movie as a potential backer reward. And because uh, they noticed that other uh, crowdfunded movies would kind of screw over their backers and raise 73% of the necessary funds. Reached just after 26 hours after the window opened, but contributions continue to be added in force. Uh, 
This project also has of March 2016, number 38 in the list of highest funded crowdfunding projects. Cool. Campaign raised $4.7 million for the film and Fox Searchlight Picture was scheduled to release. On top of the $4.7 million raised, Chandra Sikar also was able to collect $8 million more in private financing and received a $2.8 million tax rebate from the state of Massachusetts. That's not too bad. So it was mostly crowdfunded. Uh, well, it was a third of it was crowdfunded. About a quarter of it was crowdfunded. Then the bulk of it was private financial backing after seeing the crowdfunding campaign. And then they got a little bit of extra on top from the state of Massachusetts as an incentive. And then they and then they got that. Sweet. Neato. Uh, but yeah, I, it kind of sucks that they never... I feel like they need it. They, like, apparently they have a bunch of unrealized product, projects on their uh, campaign. Like they wanted to do a Western comedy starring Willie Nelson and Johnny Knoxville. There's one about uh, uh, some kind of... Uh, uh, eco-friendly, like climate change style story where they're uh, where there are a bunch of you know uh, layabouts who drive who fly planes in Alaska. They're going to do one about tow trucks. Something there's going to be a romantic comedy um, about wife swapping. Uh, there's going to be one about lawyers who cha- you are the ambulance chasers. There's going to be one. There's even going to be one about the philosophers of ancient Greece. Uh, and then there's like going to be uh, one about the NFL. There's going to be a sequel to Beer Fest called Pot Fest. And sadly, it doesn't look like any of these got off the ground. I don't understand what happened. I don't know if it was just like uh, their own creative stagnation or was it more of like a studios weren't backing them because they weren't making like they weren't they weren't bringing in money the way uh, Super Troopers did. But apparently uh, Heffernan, uh, uh, Farza in Super Troopers co-wrote Sky High and Strange Wilderness. No, he co- no he acted in Sky High and Strange Wilderness. He co-wrote something called One on One. A bunch of the guys helped out in Dukes of Hazard, Jackass Two, uh, the film noir comedy Watching the Detectives. Uh, they were help- They some of them acted on. One of the guys acted on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So the guys have been doing their own independent. That might have been another thing they probably weren't seeing a lot of major success with Broken Lizard, so they went to do their own individual things, and then they came back for this after a successful crowdfunding campaign. But yeah, anyway, um, that's more about the sequel. Uh, the first movie, I, f- I had fun. I liked it. it. There's some good bits. There's some not great bits. Um, you know, the, it, It's interestingly forward-thinking by having essentially uh, Jay... Uh, Chandra Sikar's character uh, and his wife be kind of like swingers and it's never like dude what's wrong with you why you know like it's never like puritanical in the in the fact that they're swinging it's more like um, it's more like we're having fun who cares it's more it's more like a debaucherous thing like the fact that he's doing it with the German couple that they arrested for speeding and uh, driving a stolen car um Brian Cox is hilarious. Uh, Farza is really intense, but they've toned him down for the sequel, thankfully. And um, and I think my least favorite aspect was the Ursula um, Foster, I think his name is, uh, romance. I feel like that was just kind of eh for the most part. I'm pretty sure it's Foster. Uh, Yeah, Foster. Um, Their romance is kind of the weakest point. But uh, it's also not ter- But it's also not like the worst on-screen romance I've seen. Uh, I just know it, it. It feels 
it it kind of sucks that she still gave ultimately gave in to this dude who still who's doing the exact kind of play that the other guys are doing to her, but for some reason because he's the protagonist, he gets away with it or something. I don't know. It's it's not the best thing about it. I but also Foster's never never been one of my favorite characters either. I've always um I've always kind of I I love Shandra Sikar, uh his uh thorny Ramathorn. I've also um kind of dug rat, uh not rabbit but uh Mac Womack, uh McIntyre Womack. Uh his character is as kind of like the um he's kind of like the uh his character is kind of like the uh Ben Grant uh character from Reno 911 a bit. Um and yeah, Brian Cox's O'Hagan is 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 fantastic. But yeah, um the first movie still holds up for the most part. Like if you're into not you know if you're into independent comedies and you're you know you're you and you have a, a high you know you don't have a low tolerance for like kind of kind of douchebaggy jokes and humor and stuff. It's still it's a it's a bunch of meatheads because it's a bunch of dudes who went on to be cops. So I mean, it, it, it kind of goes without saying that there's a bunch of meatheadedness about. But uh, I I had fun. I had fun with the first one and. um uh, the sequel is the best thing to come out this weekend, hands down, no no question. I'll get into the third release, but compared to I Feel Pretty, yeah, the Super Troopers sequel, despite the fact that it came a decade too late, uh, it, it it's just as good as the first one. Now it's not better than the first one, but it's on par with the first one. So if you like the first one, you're you're probably going to like the second one. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I, I do like the premise idea too. I like the idea because they, without giving too much away, they ended they they didn't end up being you know there's a nice ending to the first movie which kind of didn't warrant a sequel, but they managed to explain what has happened between movies relatively easily without it being too much of an issue. Um, there's also a great uh, switch bait and switch at the at the opening about uh, what happened between movies, but. Um, it's a it's a solid it's it's a solid sequel. Uh, the one thing I will say, uh, uh, but yeah, the premise, uh, the premise is an interesting idea. The idea that since they're on a Vermont border town, there's a disputed area between Quebec and Vermont, and so they are supposed to take over a newly uh, Americanized uh, Quebec city, and they're supposed to transfer over until they start to realize something hinky is going down. And then they invest, and so they start to investigate what exactly is going on in this small town. While they also get berated by the Canadians for who don't want to become Americans. Um, the one thing I will say, the part that I, the one scene I didn't like, is there's a scene where they all start to take these dr- the drugs that they find, um, just kind of the, the they find these the, a cache of drugs, and they take they each take one to find out what it is. And and uh, Mac uh, takes acid, and part of his trip goes into a full on got the the guys as geishas, and it's a lot of <laughs> and it's like so like people complain about Isle of Dogs being you know cultural appropriation or like Orientalism. At least Isle of Dogs has the conceit of it not trying to be offensive. This geisha scene comes right the hell out of nowhere. And it doesn't really do much of anything. Like, there are... 
all kinds of crazy stuff you could have this guy. Because this guy, the guy Mac, while Mac is tripping on acid, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But the geisha thing comes right the hell out of nowhere. Like, why geishas? Where did this come from? It's not even like they identify that, oh, he's got, you know, he's got a thing for Japanese women or something. It's just, oh, by the way, here's the dudes as geishas. <laughs> it's a really, it's the one scene I would have excised completely. And I would have replaced it with something like, one of the guys has the head of a bear. Or one of the guys has like, is like a talking butt or something, you know? Something just fantastical that's insane rather than just oh the guys are engaged as are geishas for no reason but uh aside but yeah aside from that scene it it works everything else pretty much works good it's about on par with the same the improve they did make some improvements for one thing farva is toned way down from farva being just like the super over intense just yeah, the guy gives it 110%, sir! Instead of that guy, he's more like the the jerk at the office. You know, like, eh, you know, the guy who thinks he's funny, but is so, so not funny. They've toned him down, thankfully. And I actually like Farva more in this movie than the first movie. So, so take that as you will. And, you know, like, he's doing the whole, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America! And so he's, that's a whole thing going on but he you know he's he's kind of an you know he's just he's kind of an asshole but he's a more tolerable asshole in this movie and he's he's more like the idiot who thinks he's better than he is um brian cox returns uh marissa coglin is in a glorified cameo showing that she and uh foster are still together linda carter reprises her role as the governor of vermont uh and then he's got a couple of newcomers uh rob lowe is the mayor of the town uh that that they start to incorporate, and uh, Emmanuel Shrieky, Shrieky, um, the uh, lead from Wrong Way, and the love interest from You Don't Mess with the Zohan plays a plays the attaché that is the eventual love interest for uh, Rabbit, the uh, one of the cops, and I prefer their romance to Ursula and Foster's, but I also prefer Rabbit to Foster, honestly. So. Take that as you will. But um, you've also got Tyler Levine from uh, from Reaper and uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and the and Hunk on the reboot of uh, Voltron, playing as well as Matty Velum, Will Sasso, and Hayes McArthur, who I didn't recognize. Apparently, he's on Angie Tribeca, and has also been in. Are we done yet? The game plan. She's out of my league. Uh, something called Jutopia and a haunted house, as well as being a series regular on something called Perfect Couples, which I don't remember at all, and then being a series regular on something called Go On as well. Was I? Th- oh, that was one of the Matthew Perry series that they tried to do that did only lasted a season. But he's a season re- series regular on Angie Tribeca over on TBS. And uh, he pl- the three of them play the Canadian Mounties that were in charge of the small town that have to that are kind of the rivals to uh, the Super Troopers coming over. You also got a re- you know you've got some cameos in here from people. There's a there's a oh, there's a there's a recurring bit 
in the movie that show that that they uh that they call back that say aren't you the guys that da 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 and um and uh, they they show that there's a, that and the person they reference makes a cameo in the movie I don't want to give it away but uh yeah it's it's a it's a I think it's a solid sequel. And they add some nice new elements. It keeps a lot of the same thing. There's some, once again, there's some bits that don't quite work. But it's also like 90 minutes. It's 100 minutes. It's in and out and done. You don't need, you know, not, not, you know, no big deal. So even if not everything hits, it's still just a fun movie. And it's a fun movie for people who don't smoke and people who do smoke. But, you know, it's not, it's not one of those pot, it's not one of those stoner movies where, neither of them are one of those stoner movies where you have to be high to enjoy it, you know? Dude, you totally gotta watch this while you're high, it's so much funnier. No, it's, not, dude, it, it doesn't need, in fact, there's actually a lot less weed in this one, it's more about pill popping than anything else. There's a bit with, uh, Thorny that I didn't much care for, I felt like it was gonna go to a bad place, but it ultimately, thankfully, didn't go to the place I thought it was going to go. But um yeah, it's fun. It's it, it's a lot of fun. If you like the first one, this is more of the same. So, it's not better, but it's also not worse. So, you know, it's it's it, so take that how you will. I need help right now, please. I don't know where I'm at. Where are you, little lady? Keep you just for me. Just for me. And our last one this weekend comes from the director of Meet the Blacks. The uh, Code Black... Is he... Is the director a founder? No, he's from... He founded uh, another production company. Um, no, but um, he the uh, Code Black, I believe, uh, parody of The Purge. And uh, that's what I knew him for. Although apparently he's done... Uh, an independent horror movie and a drama about white supremacy in suburban America as well. Hidden Empire. Huh. I guess Meet the Blacks wasn't uh, Code Black. I think Traffic... But I know Traffic was. Yeah, Code Black Films. Which is a... It's kind of in the same vein as um, Tyler Perry's uh, production company. It's a focuses on African American audiences, features predominantly black casts. Um, it put out uh, one of the Kevin Hart uh, uh, stand up specials and a thriller called Repentance that I never heard of. It came out in twenty thirteen. Um, trying to does not list their does not list their filmography for some reason. Which is weird. Like, why wouldn't you list your filmography on your website? Um, apparently, they're, owned, they're a subsidiary of Lionsgate. Um, let me see if I can find a list of films made by Code Black. Here we go. Movie Insider. You've got uh, Laugh at My Pain, Woman Thou Art Lucid, Free Angela and All Political Prisoners. 
documentary about Angie, Angela Davis, Kevin Hart special, uh, Frankie and Alice, psychological drama from about multiple personalities starring Halle Berry, it looks like. Yeah, Halle Berry. Um, Repentance. Apparently, this is their latest movie, and they haven't made a new release since Frankie and Alice. Uh, although they did do something called Love Beats Rhymes. About a about Azalea starring Azalea Banks when she was like a hot commodity and features Common, but that was more of a limited release. This is their first wide release since Frankie and Alice. Um, but yeah, uh, and uh, and it's also directed by uh, Dion Taylor, the founder of Hidden Empire and the and the one I best know for uh, Meet the Blacks. But apparently he's not a, he's not a comedy guy. He's uh, Apparently he is a uh, he, he's he did horror he started with horror uh, well first he started with uh, something called Nine Tales the movie uh, which is a horror anthology I uh, did something called Dead Tone uh, which is another horror film so apparently he started as an actual like full on serious horror director and then did supremacy about white supremacists that uh, that have killed a. Uh, after a cop shooting in suburban America, and then he did Meet the Blacks, which was apparently his outlier, actually, because that's a straight-up, full-on, like, uh, Wayne's Brothers-style parody movie. And then they did, uh, now it's this, uh, which is, uh, I guess I'm kind of going about roundabout because I don't want to talk about it because it's about sex trafficking. I had no problem talking about body positivity and uh, the problematic nature of um, Amy Schumer and her style of comedy. That's no problem. I have no problem talking about stoner comedies, even though I don't smoke or anything, you know? But I feel weird trying to talk about sex trafficking because I'm also going to be dissing a movie that takes it re- that tries to take it really seriously, but it's just... Not all that good. Um, honestly, I preferred... His comedy was terrible, but I preferred his comedy to his serious movie. And I don't know if his other other works are any better, sadly. But um, here we've got a journalist played by Paula Patton, who, uh, after fighting with her boss, played by a woefully underutilized William Fickner... Um, is kind of on the rocks with her job. Like, they say she's fired, but she still maintains contact with her boss. But she got in a fight because she was trying... Like, at first they tried to make William Fickner out to be the bad guy, but at the same time, he, now that I think about it, he makes a pretty solid point. The whole thing was she was trying to unravel a corruption scandal. And instead of writing a um, writing a straight-up news article about it for a newspaper that she works for she was trying to correlate the corruption scandal to ancient rome and and like the first ever recorded instance of government corruption like yes i get you're smart but wouldn't like i studied journalism it was part of my minor in college 
And as much as I hate to say it, newspapers are not the place for intellectual articles about the nature of corruption and of power and of the power in government. That's something you write for like a periodical, you know, or a book. You turn that into a book. You don't write a a newspaper article for the Sacramento Times about the nature of the inherent nature of corruption in the system and dating and citing your sources all the way back to ancient Rome. You write the story, list the facts, and she's all pissed because he, the the editor William Fickner, gave away her story to a guy who actually wrote the story and submitted it on time. You do know how deadlines work, right? You were given months to write the story. You were more focused on writing a thesis paper than an article. There's a difference. Like, I would think that you would know this. You're a professional. I know this, and I'm not a professional. I understand this. How do you not? Uh, But, yeah, it's a weird, weird thing that they go for. But as the movie progresses, we learn that uh, she is, you know, that her boyfriend, played by Omar Epps, is on the ver, you know, is, is considering proposing to her, and is using his best friend, played by uh, Laz Alonzo, who I don't recognize off the top of my head. Ooh, he was in Detroit, and he was uh, Phoenix Calderon in Fast and Furious. Oh, and he was one of the um. Oh, he was the love interest on the Navi side for Avatar. Okay, he was the he was the warrior in that. Okay, so I I recognize him from some things. This is the first time I oh apparently he was in Constantine as well. Interesting. Uh, he was in Fast. He played he he reprised his role in Fast and Furious Six for Calderon. Um, he, oh God, he was in Battle of the Year, dude. I am so sorry. Uh, apparently he was, but yeah, he, apparently he was in Conyers as he was Conyers in Detroit. Uh, Conyers being a retired American politician who represented Detroit uh, at the time of the uh, at the time of the riots going on. So apparently he played a politician in that. I forget the politician. I forget who the, I forget where how the politician played in that. But apparently, oh, he was in the Strong Dogs remake, where I got where the where the director got pissy at me for calling his movie garbage, <laughs> for saying his movie was nowhere near as good as the. Um, as the uh, uh, who a uh, Peck, Sam Peckinpah original, and um, I mean I was right, but the director was not happy with me about that on Twitter. Uh, but he was also in Jumping the Broom, so this guy's been around. And uh, but he, anyway, um, Laz Alonso plays a uh, sports agent, and so because of his uh, connections, he has a he's able to give uh, Omar Epps. A sort of mansion in the in like the middle in the wilderness. That's like a really nice high end place out in the middle of nowhere, where it's nice and romantic, and he can propose to Paula Patton. And on their way, Epps and Patton run into a couple of like bikers that give that, that try want to start a fight, and ultimately get get roped into a human trafficking. Um, uh, circle after one of the uh, after after uh, one of the women gave uh, Paula Patton the the satellite phone that they use for uh, to mon- to manage the operation and that turns into a thriller after that 
where the bikers and, and and the traffickers are trying to get the phone back and take down pa- uh, Patton and her and her group of friends, and um, uh, yeah, a funny thing was this was actually slated to be released next week because I, I think I mentioned that last time for the trailer talk segment. Uh, it was slated to be released next week, but next week is Avengers weekend. Because Avengers moved up a weekend, and so everyone had to push back a week. So Rampage pushed back, this pushed back, and so Avengers is going unopposed next weekend. So, spoiler for what's to come in the trailer talk segment. But, yeah, it's... it's I, I was worried about this ahead of time, because I wasn't sure if it wanted to go full-on, like, Last House on the Left sexploitation, where it's... A, a revenge fantasy of the woman who is taking advantage of getting revenge. Or if it was trying to be a serious thriller about human trafficking. Well, it turns out they wanted to be the human trafficking thriller to be taken very seriously. Because they do want to be taken very seriously about this subject. Because, I don't know if you guys know this, but traffic was quote-unquote... Inspired by true events. Which is basically them saying, hey, human trafficking exists, so we get to qualify ourselves as a true story. Even though there is no, there was never a Sacramento um, uh, reporter who was roped into a human trafficking circle. And none of this was based on anything remotely true. They just they just start trying to pull the idea of human trafficking exists. Thusly, this is based on a true story. They try to add some legitimacy to this movie. And if they had if they had not done that, then with we, we could have given this some slack. But they want to be they want to be taken seriously. This is inspired by actual human trafficking, you guys. Too bad the movie sucks, then. Because, I mean, that's the thing. The premise, the way it plays out, it sounds like it wants to be a sexploitation revenge fantasy a la Last House on the Left. I thought that's what they were attempting to do. It was a sex thriller. It was trying to be something gritty and dark and... You know, not you know, not really fantasy wish fulfillment for taking down these sex traffickers. I thought that was the point. Because that's what they try to do. And then the movie wants to try and take itself super seriously about the dangers of, sex, of human trafficking and the fact that millions of Americans are being trafficked as the movie played. And as we speak, as we currently speak, there are millions of men, women, and children embroiled in human trafficking. And those systems are still in place, protecting the human traffickers, and nobody's really doing anything to stop them because it's a billion-dollar industry. It's all under the table. Except this movie doesn't warrant all of that seriousness that it tries to play off. We're not talking about an actual journalist who broke a human trafficking ring. We're not talking about an actual investigation into human trafficking. This is, for all intents and purposes, a sexploitation movie that doesn't want to, that wants itself to be taken seriously. So it's never, so it's never, and unfortunately because it's a PG-13, it never goes, is it PG-13? 
There's a picture that's easier than an R. Let me check something. Let me pull up uh, the rating on this. It's an R rating, but there's never any actual sexual intercourse. There's not even a, you know, there's no rape scenes, which despite what they heavily hint at in the movie, there's barely any blood. I think just the fact, the very nature of the fact that they're talking about human trafficking and sexual, and sexual, you know, exploiting women for sex, that it warranted an R rating, but there's nothing gratuitous about it. It's, it's fallen to, if, if it wasn't talking about human trafficking and about sex exploitation, and, you know, the exploitation of women in, for sex, there would be no reason for this to be an R, like, there's no reason for this to be an R rating. This is a PG-13 movie. There's no blood. There's like one, sh- I mean, there's one shot of, of blood splatter. Most of those blood, most of the uh, assaults are bloodless. Like, it's, it's theatrical level stabbing where we don't even get to see the knife with blood on it. It's, it's, it's edited like a PG-13 movie, yet it, for some reason it's R? Why? Because, like, like, we don't even get to see Paul, like, Paula Patton is naked during some scenes, but we never, it's not like we even see her, you know. We don't, we don't, I don't even think we see any of the women, you know, full frontal or, you know, fully nude. It's all implied nudity. So, like, the reasons you would give this an R rating aren't in the movie. They're just referenced. But because they're referenced, it qualifies as an R? I don't understand this rating. It's absolutely a PG-13 movie. It's of a PG-13 quality, despite the fact that it's the only thing that elevates it to an R is, in, is, the, is the material. But they never... Like, the, the themes that they're talking about are R-rated. I don't even think it... I, I, I don't even know how much, uh, how much obscenities are said in the movie. It's just, we're talking about human trafficking, so we're now an R-rated movie. But it's edited like a PG-13 movie. Like, if you're going to be an R-rated movie, go R-rated. Blood, sp- put on some squibs. Do, make, make it, like, gratuitous. Make it vile and disgusting. Do something. This is just trying to be like, human trafficking exists. Isn't it awful? It's like a... A Sarah McLaughlin PSA about human trafficking for all intents and purposes. It doesn't do anything really with its premise. It's just... Because it, it has the premise of an exploitation movie, but it's trying to legitimize it. And in doing so, it's neither. It's neither a, a legitimate thriller about human trafficking. It's not something to be taken all that seriously, but it's as an exploitation movie, it's hap, hap, it's it, it 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 it's almost it's almost embarrassed to try and exploit the material because that's the thing, exploitate like there's a whole market for exploitation movies. You could easily do an ex- make it about race, make it that they target the couple because they're black. In your cold, cold black films, you're targeting a black audience. Make it a righteous black revenge movie. Do something. So yeah, this movie, it's neither an exploit, a gritty exploitation movie about human trafficking, nor is it a genuinely serious look into the plight, you know, the, the, you know, the, the actions of human traffickers. 
It is neither one nor the other. It tries to it tries to tightrope walk between both, but it go, doesn't go one way or the other. So it's neither, and it's not, and it's all. And I think what kills it is that they tried to pull the true story angle. If they didn't do that, it would have just been forgettable. Now it's it's absurd. So I can't recommend anybody go out and see this. And thankfully, it seems not to give too much away, but thankfully, it doesn't seem like anybody's gone to see this. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But first off, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back for a for a little fest, fest for, to celebrate the festivities of this past Friday, shall we say? But that mean I'm talking about stoner comedies. <laughs> Into every generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one. And alongside her are the Watchers. We are the Watchers. Once more with Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fancast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. Grr. Arg. Talk about that good, good Kush, that wacky tobacco, that reefer madness. Yes, this complete and utter square of a man is going to be talking about stoner comedies. So, yeah, I'm not going to get into the too much of it. I just want to. I just want to kind of do some basic coverage of what I think of stoner comedies, as, as somebody who does not enjoy that good, good Kush, as it were. I keep saying that tonight. I don't know why. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned before, I only the only traditional stoners I knew were in high school, and I haven't really come into contact with or befriended anybody who meets that stereotype since then. Not even I didn't know any in college, and the and the weed smokers I know now are just do it recreationally. They're not stoners uh, by definition, but. Uh, yeah, as somebody who um, is a you know is a is a complete and utter square, uh, I don't hate stoner comedies out and outright. Um, there there are some good ones out there. I I will say the uh, Adam Goldberg and Seth Rogen comedies, things like Pineapple Express and um, uh, like a lot of the Seth Rogen stuff. Because that's the thing, Seth Rogen is known for we. I I loved This Is the End. I even enjoyed the interview for the most part. The only ones I didn't really love were like Super Bad and Sausage Party. But um, uh, let's see what are some of the stuff he's written. Oh God, he's written. I forget Seth Rogen wrote on Preacher, huh? I, apparently, he's also writing, helping to write the documentary about uh, the console wars in the nineties. Nerd. Anyway, um, I liked Neighbors. I thought Neighbors was fun. Um, I had, well, the watch was all right. Um, so yeah, like, yeah, uh, him and Adam Goldberg, most of their pot, their stoner comedies are fine. I don't hate them. The only one I hated specifically was Sausage Party, which I will continue to espouse my disgust at the existence of Sausage Party, just because it is utter and complete trash. 
But, um, you know, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I love the first one. Uh, last time I saw it, because it's just, once again, it's a wacky, buddy comedy. The sequel is very... The Guantanamo Bay sequel is not good. It is just... I had no idea what the hell to do with this concept. And so they tried to do, like, a political satire, and it's utter... It's not good. Nope. Not good at all. And then they made it up with uh, the Christmas special, oddly enough. The Christmas special is a great... Uh, that's the other... um. One that it's not a stoner comedy per se, but there's another one that Seth Rogen did, uh, where it's a set in Christmas. Um, where is it? Uh, the night before, uh, which featured Anthony Mackie, Seth Rogen, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it's kind of a stoner comedy, but not mainly. The only real stoner element is Rogen's character, but I never saw that. I have no idea if it's even any good. Uh, yeah, like I said, Harold and Kumar. I, I never saw the Cheech and Chong movies, but I, you know, I think they're, you know, the, the stuff from their heyday was solid from what I from what I remember. I like Half Baked. Half Baked is a really funny comedy. Just overall, doesn't even have to deal with like like that's the thing. Half Baked is a hilarious comedy whether you smoke weed or not. If you smoke weed, you get the reference. It's like it's like enjoying a comic book movie. You don't have to know the source material to enjoy it. So, enjoy the good ones. But if you know the source material, you get you get what they're talking about. And Half Baked is like that. Big Lebowski is kind of a stoner comedy. That's at least listed that way. And Big Lebowski is an amazing movie, and I love it. You know, I, I absolutely uh, you know uh, will espouse how good the Big Lebowski is. But um, yeah, there's there is a tendency in a lot of stoner comedies. Like I mentioned, uh, a bunch of the stuff featuring Snoop Dogg is just. Just completely unwatchable. Why did I say Stoner Dog? Oh, I was talking about um, I was talking about Snoop Dogg, and that's what made me think of it. Um, I never saw How High. Dude, what is my car is funny. It's absurd, but it's and it's not ser- and and you shouldn't take it seriously. But it's a lot of fun. Apparently, Jane Silent Bob. Uh, I guess so. I also enjoyed that. Never saw Grandma's Boy. Never saw Reefer Madness. Uh, the remake, the musical remake. Didn't really get into Super High Me. Doug, if we're talking about stoner comedies, we should talk about the biggest stoner comedian, Doug, um, why can't I remember his name? Doug Benson. I forgot his last name. He is the quintessential stoner comic of our day. And I used to like his movie show, Doug Loves Movies, but I couldn't listen. I could not continue to listen to him because Doug is one of those stoners that you get sick of really quickly. Doug is that quintessential stoner who can't remember, who has been, who has trouble formulating sentences. I do that, but that's just me sober. Doug is one of those guys that will just trail off in the middle of a sentence and have no idea. how. It's a, it's a wonder he even gets anything done. And yeah, I never... I never saw his... I didn't really get into his documentary, his parody of uh, Super Size Me. And I completely lost interest in his comedy because there's only so much you can do with the weed thing, man. He's one of those guys where it's just... He's only funny on weed at this point. He really is. Because he's... The only reason to listen to Doug Lowe's movies at all is for the guests. The guests are better than Doug. Unless you're a stoner, 
don't check out Doug Benson. He's one of those guys that he get he's he is the stereotype, fits it to a T. And honestly, the only the only way you could really get into him is if you partake as well, because then you you don't really care as much, and you can find more more things about it to, to be funny. Uh, I never saw Smiley Face. People were recommending that on 420. Uh, it's an Anna Faris comedy with John Krasinski of all people. Like I think that was like right around the time of The Office. And uh, after a young actress unknowingly eats her roommate's marijuana cupcakes, her day becomes a series of oh, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like one of those weird sort of indie comedies of like uh, almost like a forty-eight hour sort of comedy of errors after she's and she actually spends the whole day high. Uh, I never saw Friday. Sadly, I know the refer- I know most of the references, but I never saw. I, I dig Tenacious D in the Pig of Destiny. I think that's fun uh, for the most part. Um, puff Puff Pass. Uh, Biodome, oof, yeah, uh, Bong, I don't know if Bong Water is any good, uh, Rolling Kansas, uh, oh god, this one, uh, D- um, Todd in the Shadows and Rap Credit covered this one, it's garbage, uh, Mac and Devin, go to high school, it is, it is absolutely unwatchable, uh, what's another one, Strange Wilderness, eh, exactly, yeah, not really, um, I, I don't know if I still like American Ultra. Apparently that's considered stoner comedy. Uh, Evil Bong, starring Tommy Chong, is another really uh, bad one. Uh, don't know about Humboldt County. Not sure if high school, uh, act literally high school. I don't know if that's one of those. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of those kind of stoner comedies that are that feel like they were almost made while partaking. Of marijuana, and so they it's incoherent it's it's kind of nonsensical uh, apparently Fritz the cat is considered a stoner film, which kind of makes sense yeah the the comic was very much a a kind of underground avant garde sort of thing van Wilder a lot of the late latter day um national lampoons kind of fall uh, fall on this uh Ted is another one I'm surprised that didn't come up um but yeah, not like there's a bunch of stuff like like Mac and Devin go to high school, like Evil Bong, like a lot of the um, National Lampoon's directed video movies. Uh, just they just rely too much on the fact that hey, look at us, we're all smoking weed, isn't it crazy? And it's like it kind of hopes that you're smoking too because. Here's another one. Hansel and Gretel get baked. Made in the made in the wake of Hansel and Gretel uh witch hunters. It it is it really is just not uh a lot of the stuff is honestly un can be considered unwatchable. And Sausage Party is another one of those where it's like it makes sense, yeah, that this is about you know a stoner comedy because it's it it only makes it only works when you're baked out of your gourd. But that's the thing; not all of this is like that. Um, Reefer Madness, the musical comedy, it, it work works even better if you're sober or and it, or you watch it if you're if you're baked. It doesn't matter, and you know it's not a big deal. Uh, the original uh, scary movie, the two way in scary movies, those were those work fine. Uh, Jane and Silent Bob and a lot of the 
And a lot of the view universe are stoner comedies, and they work fine. Maybe not Clerks 2 as much, but... Um, oh, God, that extract. I forgot. Apparently that's considered a stoner comedy because Mike Judge made it? Oh, that's another one. Um, Office Space and Idiocracy are kind of stoner comedies, and those work fine in and of themselves. They're not, you know, they're not, like, the best comedies out there, but, they, but they're funny. They're fine. So, I mean, like... I guess that's the thing is that when it's when it's not uh, in relying solely on uh, weed when it's not when weed is just like like something in the background that's why Super Troopers work because the weed was there in the background it was part of the plot but it wasn't so but the plot wasn't solely hey everybody let's get high and even then let's get high can work in the in the sense of like dazed and confused. Or half-baked, where it's like, where there's more story to just getting high. Whereas, things like Mac and Devin go to high school, or the or the latter-day um, uh, National Lampoon's, even Tenacious D suffers from this a lot. Where it's kind of not sensical, and you get the feeling that they were writing while they were high, and they were, and they, it was, it's not as coherent as an actual script, and it's like, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if this happens? And then it's like, there's like no real, uh, there's like no real cohesion to the script, and that's where it doesn't work. When it's like, hey, let's get high and make a movie, that most often, more often than not, never works. But that's the thing. Like, you can have some, but that's the thing. That's why this genre, uh. You know, we'll find its audience. There's one... Oh, God, there's one where... If Snoop Dogg's involved, chances are it's not a sign of quality. Because he's in one from 2001 that somehow got Dr. Dre involved about a car wash. It seems to be like a remake of the car wash movie from the 70s. It's, it's, it, it, it does not look good in the slightest. And I think that's the thing, is is that... Uh, when, when, when it's solely about smoking weed and being high, it's not funny. If it's about something, but if it's going to be about that, it has to be, it has to follow the rules of comedy. That's the thing. The Wayans and Cheech and Chong, I doubt they came up with the comedy while they were high. They especially did not film the movie while they were high. Because it's too coherent. Those early ones, the really good ones, are too coherent to 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 um, to like fall to to fall in line with the lesser of the stoner comedies. And that's the thing. That's that's why that's why I mentioned things like uh, fear. There's another one: fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, Big Big Lebowski. Uh, oh, what's the, wait? What's this one? Stone Bros, an Aboriginal Australian stoner comedy. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You see, this also a lot. You see, all you also see a lot of the um, Happy Madison movies in the stoner comedies. And once again, I feel like that's the whole thing of like it. It works better when you're high, and it. Otherwise, it's just utter unwatchable garbage. And I feel like that's the whole thing is that if your movie 
relies solely on the fact of being soul plane. Perfect. Another perfect example of a stoner comedy that that doesn't work on it in and of itself because it's not coherent. It's not. It, it it's like, wouldn't it be funny if this happened? And it's, and then once again, Snoop Dogg is not a sign of quality in your movie. I feel like that's a, a, it's almost like I'd, I'd be surprised if there was a Snoop Dogg movie that he lent quality to in some way. You know? A movie where he was the star as essentially Snoop Dogg playing himself baked out of his gourd. If there, if there was a movie like, of him doing that that worked, I haven't seen it yet. So, if, um... But yeah, that's the whole thing. Is one, I, I feel like that's the whole issue with stoner comedies. If it follows the stereotype of like a Doug Benson of like, these guys have no idea what's going on, man. And, it, it, and it's kind of crazy if this would happen. And it's like nonsensical and only works when you're in that sort of relaxed, almost childlike state of mind that you get when you're really baked out of your gourd. Like you have to be like blit. Not Blitz. Blitz is more for alcohol. You have to be like Baked Alaska. I think isn't there a one called Baked Alaska? I could have sworn there was a movie called. I I, I thought I could have sworn there was a movie called Baked Alaska. There's an entertainer called Baked Alaska. Hold on a second. There's a TV series. Baked Alaska the movie? How did it take until 2018 for a stoner comedy to call itself Baked Alaska? Freaking stoners, man. I swear to God. I have, I'm more on the ball than they are. You know? <laughs> but yeah. Um, wait a second. Hold on. I, maybe I was wrong. Wait. What's this? 26 mini documentary. Screw you, Rotten Tomatoes. Your site is garbage. It's also ugly looking. Um, yeah, it's there's a, apparently an ongoing series about, about uh, a, a weed dispensary in Alaska. Okay, that's where it's coming from. The guy who's making that movie is... Is the guy behind this series. So it took until 2015. For them to make. A baked alas. Something. A weed. A weed. A stoner comedy. Called Baked Alaska. Telling you stoners. You gotta get with it. You gotta get with it. Anyway. Yeah um. Yeah, good movie, once again, good movie should not require the audience member to be inebriated and to be out of, out of their sober mind to enjoy. That's the whole problem. Is that if a movie requires you to be on, on a substance to enjoy, it's not a, you didn't make a good movie. You made a bad movie and all you're doing is requiring the audience member to be inebriated because then their standards are lowered. So it's not my fault you made a bad movie. And, and, and once again, stoner comedies can be good. 
Pineapple Express, Big Lebowski, uh, Clerks, another good, uh, most of the Cheech and Chong movies, Friday, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, uh, where's another one? I'm trying to think of more recent ones. Uh, Van Wilder, uh, Dude, Where's My Dude, Where's My Car, and the early scary movies are more like well regarded as comedies. They're not well. They're not well reviewed. They may not be the most highly reviewed the way like uh, a Big Lebowski is, but at the same time, they they are still well regarded as comedies. Just overall comedies. But, yeah, these movies can be good. They can and some and are some they can even be great if you know what you're, if you know how to tell a good story, but you should not rely there's a reason Harold and Kumar go to White Castle works, Guantanamo Bay doesn't, and a very Harold and Kumar Christmas does because the first the first movie is a buddy comedy. it works. Because even though they're even though it deals with them smoking going to White Castle after getting high, it's a forty eight hour style comedy of errors, and it's about the the craziness that goes on when they just want to go to White Castle and get some White Castle burgers. Uh, when you go, when you try to follow all that up with like really really lame political satire, where like they get high, where they escape Guantanamo Bay. And get high with George Bush. It's not. There's nothing funny there. It's kind of lame ultimately. Especially since it, by the time the movie that came out. George Bush was about to end his, end his term in office. Uh, but then you follow that up with a send up of Christmas movies. And you, you throw in a little bit of the stop motion. From the Rankin Bass Christmas specials. You throw in a lot. You make a... Um, Make a, you add on to the whole mystique of Neil Patrick Harris through these movies, especially now that by that point he had come out as openly gay, and you and you 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 make you make the comedy about these characters by making about these char- by making about these characters and have and them being like you know going through these wacky situations. It's fine and it's fun and it's and it's silly and it works. Whereas. By trying to do something topical and 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 haphazardly trying to make political commentary, you, you, it doesn't work like that. You you need to be on your game when you're trying to tell that kind of story. And they were just like, "Well, what do we do next?" Um, we get, and then like CNN was on while they were all smoking up, and it was like. Dude, what if we send him to Guantanamo Bay because like Cal Penn is Indian, but he kind of looks Middle East. Wait, is is Cal Penn Indian or is he Pakistan? Hold on a second. That's gonna bug me. Cal Penn is uh Cal Penn Suresh Modi is of uh Gujarati uh descent. So he is Indian. Okay, so I was right. I didn't mess that up. So yeah, he's I like Cal Penn too. Cal Penn is one of those guys that, you know, even though he got famous for playing a stoner, has since kind of become really well respected as both an advocate for um for like uh Indians in Indian Americans, but you know, and but also 
you know, all the he's he's but also as a representative of 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 Asians and Asian Americans in film. And I really like him. I mean, that's the thing. You've got a stoner comedy starring uh, a Chinese, uh, an actor of Chinese descent and an actor of Indian descent. And it's just a stoner buddy comedy. And, and it works phenomenally. And, and that's and it's one of the best things the two of them have been on. And it's one of those things where it's like, of course it works. Because these guys are funny. does not matter that they are, you know, of, you know, people of color. Color of skin should not matter. It should be funny. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's that. So I guess in conclusion, overall, this is kind of, it feels like it was written by a stoner. But yeah, overall, the stoner comedy works best when it's written by sober people. Sober people make the best stoner comedies. Ironic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, stoner comedies work best when they're written sober and they're filmed sober. And it's just a matter of centering around weed and centering on topics relating to that stoners can relate to rather than it being fully uh, like a bunch of dudes got high and made a movie. Cause that's what sausage party is. That's what Mac and Devin is. That's what, that's what a lot of these kinds of comedies tend to be. And it's what people see them as because they never try to go beyond that initial sort of like, <laughs> dude, what if we like made a movie, man? So, yeah, no wonder it doesn't work out when you, when you try to do that. But it should be. Wait, 9 to 5 was a stoner comedy? Hold on. Hold the tick. How is 9 to 5 a stoner comedy? How does, what, where does the weed come in? Doesn't show up in the, in the, uh, plot description the word stoned doesn't even show up at, at any point how in the hell is 9 to 5 a stoner comedy no I, now I'm just baffled alright Rolling Stone you tell me what wait Trimance is a stoner comedy I guess stoner movies. So, I guess because... Oh, Bill and Tad does another one where it works great on the, as, for stoners, but it's still a genuinely good movie. Friday, yeah, another great movie. Harold and Kumar, great. Once again, good movie. Never saw How High. No idea if it's any good. Still need to go back and rewatch the Cheech and Chong movies. Days and Confused, Big Lebowski. So then where the hell does 9 to 5 show up? Wikipedia, you're stoned. Wikipedia, you're stoned. Nine to five is not a stoner comedy. How is it a stoner comedy? If you're listening at home and you and you have uh, and you have any notion to how into how nine to five is considered a stoner comedy, send that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. Uh Anyway, let's end this discussion and move on to my newest segment. 
And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Complete with new bumper. So after last week, I decided to continue on me- measuring the box office and commenting on it and, and continuing my coverage of the top seven movies to come out in this to, to do with the box office at the week. I'm leaving that one in. I don't care. Now, I'm talking about the top seven movies at the box office and talk about the trend that's going on by, by how the box office is performing. So, first up, uh, we, we'll talk about all the new releases uh, once, I've talk, once I've dealt with the top seven. So, number seven is a drop down. We lost, we lost a couple from, uh, with, the new release, with some of the new releases. Blockers has dropped from number five to number seven. Came in with just under seven million dollars, six six million nine hundred eighty-five thousand at the box office. Overall, uh, overall gross has been forty-eight million uh, domestically. Add in an extra nineteen and a half million overseas for a worldwide total of sixty-seven million, which is well over its its um its production and advertising budget. So this movie is make is becoming profitable. It's managed to make its money back, so it's all good for them. So, oh, produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Speaking of stoner comedies, um, uh, I'm 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 happy for them. Blockers isn't the best thing out there, but it's way better for sex comedies than we've seen in a while. So that's not saying much, but. You know, it's, it's, there's a reason it's doing well, and it's not because, and people are having fun with it. I'll have to ask my nephew what he thought about it, because he wanted to see it solely because uh, John Cena butt-chugged, which is one of my least favorite scenes, honestly. Uh, next up, dropping from number four to number six, we have Ready Player One, with $7.5 million in the box office. And overall, domestically, $126 million. Foreign, add in the foreign market, you've got $395 million. For a worldwide total of five hundred and twenty-one million dollars, so you include that's that's profitable now. Thanks to the international markets, Ready Player One is profitable. It's not a it's not a it's not a wild success. We're not talking like the Marvel Cinematic. This is one of the lesser Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of uh, success. It's barely scraping by, sadly. Well, not sadly. I mean. It's not a great. It's ultimately not a great movie. It's, this one's not going to go down as one of Spielberg's best, and I think that's solely because of the source material. It's just not that great of a story. Sadly, I don't know if it was just the adaptation process or the source material was never going to be adapt- adapted into something good. But yeah, Ready Player One, it's doing well. But yeah, I doubt people were gonna are gonna remember it after a while. It may be one of those things where, like, a hundred years from now, people are like, how did nobody fall in love with Ready Player One? You know, one of those things. Next up, dropping from number three to number five, we have Truth or Dare. Blumhouse's Truth or Dare, which brought in a total of, an estimated total of $7.9 million this weekend for an overall gross of $30 million with a added foreign box office of $7.9 million. And you've got a worldwide total of $38 million and on a budget of 3.5, double that, you got 7 million. This movie is making bank. This is why you need to focus. That's why Hollywood needs to stop worrying about big money and 
if they can make more stuff, this is the reason why Blumhouse is successful. It costs nothing to make. All it needs to do is be somewhat successful, and you're in the and, the, and you're in the black. You're good. So, I still think it's trash. But you know what? I can't begrudge people seeing any theaters because sometimes you just want some. You just want a terrible movie to laugh at, and you know, have have fun, have at it. Now we jump up uh, precipitously because our first new release this weekend is Super Troopers Two, premiering at number four with fourteen point seven million dollars, and that means it has already made back its production budget. If it can double this over the course of its run, which sadly I don't think it will because Avengers is going to take a lot of steam out of the box office. But if it can start making back some of the advertising revenue, if it can get over uh, over 25 or 30 million dollars, it's going to be good. It's going to it's going to be good. Uh, but who knows, maybe people are going to be waiting to see it on DVD. This feels like much more of a DVD release for people at this point in time, sadly. It's not, there's not a reason to rush out and see it in theaters, especially since, you know, if you see it on DVD or Netflix, you can uh, you can enjoy yourself properly, let's say. Celebrate 420, if you get what I'm saying. Next up, uh, I Feel Pretty premiered at number three with $16.2 million uh, on a production budget of 32 it barely made half its production budget on the weekend before Avengers. This movie tanked. And I'm glad to see that because one thing I forgot to mention. There's an actress in here, Emily Ratajkowski. Ratajkowski. I'm not sure if that J is, um, is pronounced or not. Uh, let me see. Emily Ratajkowski. How to pronounce that last name? Ret Ratajkowski. Okay, Emily Ratajkowski. Ah, uh, thank you Wikipedia for your for your uh, IPA guidelines, and thank you and thank you music degree for teaching me IPA. So Ratajkowski. Um, she it was in the music video for Blur Lines. She's been on Entourage, Our Carly. She was um, she was the mistress in Gone Girl. Uh, spoilers before dying. She's a beautiful young model, and um, in this movie, she continually gets screwed over by Amy Schumer, despite being the nicest girl ever. Like, that's the thing. In this movie, Ritikowski's character, it meets Amy Schumer at SoulCycle. And and she's kind of nervous because, like, it's her first time coming to SoulCycle. And it's like, this is my first time. And the joke is, but she's hot. She doesn't need to exercise because she's hot. Then it goes on to... Uh, Schumer bumping into Redikowski at a like a CVS pharmacy where Redikowski gets hit up by a dude asking for her phone number in the lamest possible pickup line where it's like, do you know where the dish soap is? Well, maybe you can help me find it and then do my dishes and come over and have dinner. Can I get your number? That's literally pretty much what happens. 
And yeah, Redikowski's like, I don't give him my number. Schumer's like, does that happen a lot? And Redikowski's like, oh yeah, it happens. I'm sure it happens to you. Like, she is so incredibly nice. Like, oh yeah, I'm sure you get it. Like, she is so... She doesn't know that Schumer is just like an asshole. And then like, towards the end of the movie, there's that scene where she wants to punch punch Redikowski for... Not for not feeling confident, because guess what? She had a breakup. Schumer's like, well, yeah, you dumped the guy. And Redikowski's like, no, I was dump. And Schumer's like, dumbfounded. But hot girl can't get dumped. How can hot girl get dumped? Because hot. I want to shake you like a baby. What is wrong with you? Sorry, sorry, just, this is what this movie does to me. You know what, screw it. I'm putting it higher than Fifty Shades. I Feel Pretty is worse than Fifty Shades Freed. I'm calling it now. I'm saying it now. Spoiler alert for the end of the year. I Feel Pretty is higher than Fifty Shades Freed. I'm saying it now. Screw it. But yeah, Redikowski tells Schumer she's about to apply for a modeling gig to model the target retail line for this makeup for this make for for the makeup company. She's about to apply for the modeling gig for that line. And Schumer's like, "This girl can't be the can't be the model. She's too pretty to represent real women." I want to strangle my microphone. I am so furious. Reliving this. As soon as I saw that happen, she screwed the nicest girl in the entire movie out of a gig, out of a job, because she was too attractive. I'm glad this movie flopped, and I'm glad I'm not the only one who saw right through this piece of garbage. And I hope more people come to realize just how awful this movie is. And there is nothing Schumer, Cohn, and Silverstein can say to legitimize this dung heap. This festering turd of a movie. Number two. Number two at the box office is a mainstay. We had a bit of a flip-flop, actually. <laughs> Sorry, uh, trying to get back on lo- back back in uh, the groove afterwards. So yeah, box office had a bit of a flip-flop. Um, Rampage went from number one to number two. Uh, dro- had a 41% drop in, in, uh, in uh, gross after uh, its opening. Uh, it Grossed twenty one million uh, this weekend for an overall gross of sixty six million domestically, and the foreign market grossed it at two hundred and sixteen. So worldwide, it's made two hundred eighty three million. Cost one hundred twenty to make. It's it's already broken even essentially. So it's all now from now on. It's all you know profit essentially. So which is fine. You know, Rampage. I wouldn't call it the best video game adaptation. I think Tomb Raider still is better. 
as an adaptation. But this is still a fun movie. It's a fun kaiju movie. It's not as good as Kong Skull Island, but it's better than the 2014 Godzilla. I'll say that. And, uh, yeah. You know, not bad. Not a bad run before Avengers kicks in. And then lastly, returning to the number one spot, we have A Quiet Place with a gro- with a weekend gross of $22 million for a domestic gross overall of $132 million. Add in the foreign gross of 74.8, and you've got $207 million worldwide on a budget of $17 million. This is how you profit, Hollywood. Make good movies on a decent budget. People will flock to see it. This is not rocket science. They're literally telling you, all you need to do is make a good movie with a decent budget and people will see it. There are always going to be tentpole movies. I get, yeah, that's always, that's, since Jaws, that will always be a thing. But the only way to continually stay in business is for things like A Quiet Place. Who produced, who distributed this? Who's behind A uh, Quiet Place? Let me go back to the box office. They list the distributors. Paramount. Paramount is making hand over fist money. A Quiet Place has been printing them money since opening weekend. It's been... This this entire month, A Quiet Place has pretty much guaranteed at least like three or four movies for Paramount. You're welcome. So yeah, that's how you... This is how you succeed. This is how you succeed. And then... uh, our last new release was Traffic, which premiered at number nine with a, with a gross of $3.8 million on a budget of, I believe, four was the stated budget of the movie. Which, yeah, it basically grossed back his budget and it's going to be buried by Avengers this weekend. So, yeah, you get what you deserve. If you were a better movie, you would have made back your money. doesn't matter that you came out in your Avengers. So, yeah. It's your own damn fault that you couldn't do better. Anyway, that was the box office report. Tune in next week where it's going to be the Avengers show. And speaking of which, let's move into the trailer talk. And look, take a look at that good, good Marvel goodness. I love it. Can't wait. Pre-ordered my tickets ahead of time. So excited. Let's check out the last trailer before we head into Infinity War. Oh snap, it's like a meteor. He only ever had one goal. His station is kind of kind of of falling into the half the universe. It looks like a meteor crashing into the earth. He can do it with the snap of his fingers. Tell me his name again. Thanos. Oh, I'm so excited. I want to see Josh Brolin this Thanos. I can't wait. We got one advantage. He's coming to us. Nice. We have what Thanos wants. So that's what we use. Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except 
it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way, it might be really good. I love this wow. banter so much. I can't wait. Hulkbuster. Is near. Thor. Teen Groot. When I'm done, half of humanity will still exist. Perfectly balanced. As all things should be. Oh. I hope they remember you. Yeah! Yeah, Cap! You show him what? Ah, get hyped! This is only part one! This is I'm Peter, by the way. Doctor Strange. Oh, you're using your made-up names. Then I am Spider-Man. <laughs> Steven is not putting up with any of your crap here. He, 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 went, he didn't go to medical school for years and become a, a world-renowned surgeon for your bull. For your bull. <laughs> Almost said a bad word. God, I'm so excited. I can't wait. Uh, so yeah, this whole week is going to be me binge-watching the entire MCU in the lead-up to this movie. And I can not wait. So excited. Uh, so next week... Prepare for the Infinity War episode because that's all that's coming out and that's all I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to get into spoilers. I'm going to do everything. I, I'm giddy as a schoolgirl. Uh, so yeah, that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us at our homepage at GubbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite that page and you'll be and you'll be able to follow us for all the new episodes. As well as check out all of our other fine programming on GubbyCat Networks. Uh, I highly recommend the Snarkcast that Donna does over there. The uh, Once More With Feeling, the um, Family Business, both uh, the Buffy and, her Buffy and um, uh, Supernatural podcasts her behind beyond the cabin in the woods about all about horror movies she's gonna have to sit down and watch truth or dare and i cannot wait to hear her tear it apart as well so excited and um yeah be sure to like we're we're hoping to revamp some things on the side and get get some things going and it's gonna be we've got some things planned for 2018 so be sure to follow us there. And if not there, you can always follow uh, this podcast through your various podcasting apps and your various podcast providers. Look for Popcorn Junkie. If you see my orange mug chomping on some popcorn staring at the movies and you see the little Gumby Cat logo and you see it's over 100 episodes, you've got the right feed and keep up to date on all the podcasts. Subscribe. Leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like this thing and that they should check it out as well. You can also check us out on. The, you can also share the word of Popcorn Junkie through social media. Social media home is Facebook.com/slash Popcorn Junkie. That's where all the big announcements are made. Um, you can also check us out on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. That's where I'm most active. That's where I do the trailer talk and the munch alongs, as well as interact with my other um, film reviewers and film producers and whatnot. Uh, that's where. So if you want to keep, if you want to contact me there, that's the best place uh, aside from email. I'm also on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. It's mainly just I've found some more uses for the Instagram, but it's st- I'm still trying to find good good stuff to do with that. 
uh, for right now. But uh, and if you have any suggestions, send that to the email as well. And then, la- and then of course, uh, I'm on Stardust. Look for Popcorn Junkie. You can see my reactions to the new releases as they come out. And you can get like a preview of what's to come on the podcast. So uh, follow me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. And sadly, I will have to postpone the Twitch streams for right now. Uh, as the summer rolls around, as the spring turns around into summer, I have uh, obligations uh, with the family that I have to meet on Saturdays. Plus, I need to focus so more on the um, on uh, ser- on searching for employment as well. So I need to keep my Saturdays open. So for the time being, no Twitch streams. I will return to the Twitch stream as soon as I am able, and I and hopefully I can manage to turn those videos into a YouTube channel of sorts. I would love to get a YouTube channel running back on this. Uh, maybe a Vimeo, or because I know Daily Motion didn't do me any good. But if I can get an audience going to follow me on uh, YouTube or even Vimeo or something, uh, maybe bring them to the website again. Uh, who knows? I'll 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 look into that. Uh, I want to keep my options open, but yeah, for the time being, no Twitch, no more Twitch streams. I'll get back into video games when I can. And uh, if you if you're listening to this and you are in the Cincinnati area, I will actually be making an appearance. Yes, um, I'm going to get the name of this convention right, but I was asked by my by my player and uh, fellow Gumby Cat producer Jim Sterling to join his um, movie riffing uh, troupe. I guess you would call it troupe. Uh, channel uh, Cinematic for the People, which I highly recommend you check out. I also did one collaboration with them already. Uh, look for Killdozer uh, on YouTube, Cinematic for the People Killdozer, and you can hear hear me tear apart the movie alongside uh, the main Cinematic for the People uh, act, uh, riffers. I guess you would call comedians, participants, <laughs> whatever you want to call us. But if you want to join me uh, with the Cinematic for the People uh, in a live riff in Cincinnati, uh, look for the International Steampunk Symposium. And uh, I will be there with the Cinematic for the People guys riffing the um, 1961 quote-unquote classic uh, Vincent Price movie. Uh, Master of the World, based on the book by, um, uh, based on the novels, uh, Master of the World and Robert the Conqueror by Jules Verne. Also starring Charles Brunson. So, not only will you see us there, uh, riffing this movie live, you'll also get to see me in my full-on crewman regalia. Yes, I will be performing, I will be cosplaying for this event So yes, if you are within the Cincinnati area and you can join us this coming weekend, the 27th through the 29th, uh, you can see me riff live with the Cinematic for the People uh, troop group uh, channel uh, as we we have some fun and watch a Vincent Price quote-unquote classic, Master of the World. So join us if you can, and if not, uh, I will let you know when uh, Cinematic for the People puts that up on their channel. Uh, or you can follow them on their channel, Cinematic for the People, and uh, see for yourself. Check out all of their other fine riffs. Uh, I am—I can't tell you as a fan of um, 
of Rift Tracks and of Mystery Science Theater, how excited I am to help out when I can with Jim and uh, Mike and those guys. They are phenomenal. Cannot wait. So, and you might see me around the uh, the convention as well. I'm I'm debating whether or not to uh, whether or not I want to attend the convention at this point in time. But uh, but yeah, you'll definitely see me there, and I'll try to hang out as much as I can. And since I only have Avengers to watch this weekend, so it's the best weekend for it. Uh, so yeah, t- check me out there. Uh, and if there's anything else you want to say to the podcast, you want to give your thoughts on the, what I reviewed, you want to you want to share what uh, what is coming up, what your thoughts are for that. Want to you know if you want to correct me if I made a mistake, absolutely have do not hesitate to correct me. I will absolutely read your corrections and 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 uh, acknowledge it because if I want to, if I screwed up, I want to know about it. Nobody wants to know more about whether or not I screwed up than me. So yeah, uh, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. If you want, I'll read it out on the podcast. And if not, I will be sure to uh, get back to you as soon as possible. That about does it for this weekend. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. What was it talking about again? The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.thebindart.com for more of his artwork. Like, there are scenes of her... Hold on, I got a call from my dad. I gotta take this. Um. I thought I... I'm, I'm on... The thing is on... Why is... Why? Facebook! Shut up! Pilots in Alaska. There's where the problem is. My freaking iPad. Blockers has gone from number five to number... That was a hiccup. I think I'll cut that one out. Movie... Uh...